We are in part three of this series that we've been calling Light of the World. We've tried to decorate the stage, the sides of the stage, just to bring this whole idea of light, pushing away the darkness. So in this part three, I just want you to lean in. This is very, very personal. We're going to make it personal today. It's interesting to me, actually crazy, that a lot of people go through this entire season of Christmas and not pause to read the original source material. He's like, yeah, you might have seen the movie, but you need to actually go back and read the book, okay? Because there is this whole thing that's grown up around Jesus' birthday, and then it, you know, it's, it's gone to Santa Claus and the Grinch and everything else. But how is it that the thing that actually launched this whole season, this whole thing that, uh, that Western culture for sure uh, celebrates, very few people will actually read the Christmas story. So I want to personally read that story to you, and we're going to pick it apart just a little bit. Here's what's so interesting, and I've pointed this out during all parts of this, this uh, um, Light of the World series. It is interesting to me that we have four accounts of the life of Jesus Christ, of people who were either with him directly, or they were writing down what others who were directly with Jesus had to say. Here's why that's so interesting, and I love to study history of all kinds. It's, it's fascinating to me. If you go back and look at most all history, history is typically written by those who win the war, or it's written by people who have a lot of money and they want to put an enormously good spin on their own life and their own accomplishments and so forth. But here we have four ancient documents that are written by someone who technically, according to the way the world looks at things, all these accounts are about a loser. And it was a, this, this first century poor tradesman, contractor, carpenter, we might say, uh, but uh, a stonemason, and an itinerant preacher. I mean, who really write, writes stories about preachers? No. Well, I thought that would actually get a bigger laugh than that. Because... Um, my, my, my life is pretty wicked boring. I don't know that I need anybody to write about my life. There you go. There you go. I knew we'd get in there for sure. But seriously, these documents have been verified and attested to for 2,000 years or thereabouts. The first one uh, that, uh, that, that comes to mind is the gospel according to Mark. His name was John Mark. He was a companion, um, uh, a secretary, if you will, to Simon Peter. He wrote down what Peter said, and the way he jumps into this story about Jesus' life is he jumps in at the point where Jesus has uh, the, the launch of his public ministry. He doesn't really deal with the birth narrative. He doesn't deal with the nativity. But then you have three others. You have another one that was written by a guy by the name of Matthew, or Levi, depending on which language you like to, 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 to call him. Uh, but Matthew was a disciple. And to give you the, the, the best uh, idea I could come up with of how uh, Matthew, as a first-hand account, tries to deal with Jesus' life is he does it with the Ancestry.com approach. We need to know who he was related to, what he did that fulfilled prophecy that goes back hundreds and even thousands of years. So it's very thorough in that regard. Then you have Luke, who's not Jewish, but he is probably one of history's greatest investigative reporter uh, historians. And he wanted to do, as he says at the beginning of his gospel, I want to do a thorough account. I go and interview as many people as I can so I can give you a thorough account of what happened in the birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, um, the, the appearances after uh, the, uh, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. And then, I don't know if you knew it or not, but Luke also wrote what we call the, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. So he's very thorough, and we know a lot, and we read a lot of the, the, the birth narrative from him. But like I told you from the get-go, there's this guy by the name of John who was probably the youngest disciple of that 12 that Jesus originally called. It's possible he was as young as 16 when Jesus called him. And then he lived to be somewhere around 90 years old. It's an incredible thing. He knew of the first three Gospels, we can tell. But he also said, after many, many years, he's like, I need to tell you some things that the others didn't say. 
and he also gave it a lot of thought. He didn't use the same kind of form as they did. He said, there are seven signs that I saw firsthand that Jesus is who he says he is and that he will do what he said he will do. It was very personal for him. If you read the Gospel of John, there are things that Jesus says that only John or others near him would know because he was sitting close enough to Jesus to hear it. It's an amazing document. You should read the Bible. It's an amazing thing. I get excited about it. I don't know if anybody else does. This is a guy who, while Jesus was on the cross, he says to John, John, I want my mother to be like your mother. And mom, would you take care of John? It was this wonderful uh, mother-son relationship that they developed. And we know that John actually took care of Mary until she died. And they, at some point, moved to the, it was a huge metropolis, but it was a good place to minister for Jesus. They moved to Ephesus. We still go there today. He begins his writings that are so personal, and he's writing to you or anybody who would listen. And he tries to find words to say, and this is what he said. In John 1, we call it uh, chapter 1, verse 14, he said the word. We don't have time to go into why he chose all that, but he said, Jesus was the word. And the word, he says, became flesh, became skin and bones. And made his dwelling among us. His words in Greek, not easy to translate into English, but what he basically says is, I've got so many details. I was with him. I camped with Jesus. It was awesome. I've got so many details, but the bottom line of it is that God showed up in our neighborhood and he made a difference. And I'm trying to tell you what kind of difference he made and what kind of difference he, he can make. Now, uh, you put yourself in the position of John. How would you try... What words would you choose to try and describe what it was like to hang out with Jesus one-on-one? That's a tough, tough thing. It's mind-blowing because he says, well, he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He's the one that's been you know, uh, predicted and prophesied for all. Uh, and then he go. He say, you know, God is uh, in, 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 in him, and in him you find grace and you find truth, not 50-50, but 100 and 100 percent. He's grace and truth. I I've never met anyone like him. He said, um, he's the word, he's the light, he's the bread, he's the water. Yeah, he said, he's the light. But he's not just like any light, he was the true light. I know that because John wrote later down in chapter 1, he says, the true light, talking about Jesus, that gives light to everyone. And there's that word, everyone. He said, we thought that it was going to be us versus them. The Jews against the Romans. He said, but it wasn't limited to just us 12, and it wasn't the Jewish. It wasn't just uh, 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 something that happened in our county. He says, the true light that gives light to everyone, every kind of us, that light was coming into the world, and his mission was to guide and to clarify who God is. In other words, listen, some of you are about to go to sleep, and I want to leave you with this before we go on, okay? At the very first Christmas, John says, God gave everybody a gift. His name is Jesus. Now, whether you received that gift, that's up to you, but he did give you the gift. And, and, and he goes on to say, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world to all, all means all in any language, all. He says, to all who did receive him, who welcomed him, who, who, who chose to, to, to engage with him. He said, to anyone who would do that, he says, like, how do I say this? Because this is really tough stuff. He says, I, anyone who will receive him, and some of you are skeptics like me, and you go, well, how do you receive a baby? What does that mean exactly? How do you receive, how do you engage with someone you do not know yet? How do you, how does that work? So he was trying his best to try and find out, how does that do, because he knows John knows, you can tell by what he's writing, people need, the people that read what I'm writing right now, they need to know this. They need to know that what I'm about to tell them is not just a bunch of stories for no purpose. All of them are written so that, in fact, this is what he says. He, 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 well, I'll get to that in a minute. How, how, what's your favorite, like, made up, like, mixed together word? Like, how many of you are familiar with the word hangry? which means you are really hungry, and if you get really hungry, then you get really angry. 
and you need a Snickers, okay, right? It means you're getting upset easily because you haven't eaten in a while. Anybody ever get hangry? Yeah, okay. Here's another one. I like this one. It's called Texpectation. That's when you're staring at the bubbles on your iPhone. <laughs> go ahead and send. That's what you're saying to the person you're texting with. Just go ahead and send it. You have this expectation that the text is coming in. This is one that we always have to fight against when we hit the road, and that is carcolepsy. <laughs> that is the tendency to fall asleep as soon as the car is rolling. This is why I drive on most of our trips. Okay. <laughs> Love you. Okay. The reason I bring that up is that John did that in this case. Like I said, he is searching for words, and he did something that had never been done before. He takes a Greek word, pusteo, which means to believe in, to trust in, and then he takes the Greek word that we still use today, and that is in, and he, he put them together. They had not been put together before. And he mashes those two words together, and he says to those who believed in, who trusted in, the idea that he was trying to communicate in Greek is someone who takes all the weight and they put it onto something. Most of you sitting in this room, and I would guarantee in your room too, you put your full weight onto the chair or whatever it is that you are sitting on. Okay, same idea. He said to anyone who believed into, who believed onto his name, Jesus, Savior, Joshua, the Defender, he gave the right to become the children of God. He said, I don't know how else to explain this to you, but Jesus is real. I was with him. He is who he says he is. He will do what he said he will do. And all I know to tell you is if you will believe onto him with everything that your life encompasses, you will have light. You will have a light that's like, it's life. I, can you imagine trying to express this? Because what he's saying is, it's, I don't want you just to believe that Jesus existed. Everybody can do that. That's a known fact. He walked and talked among us. That's easy. He says, what I want you to understand is that if you actively, uh, it's very visceral, it's very vigorous, it's durable. If you put your weight onto him, he is trustworthy. And I'm telling you, this is not secondhand knowledge. I'm telling you firsthand. I was there. It's very experiential. It'll be experiential for you if you'll allow it. It's personal. I'm telling you personally, I was there. I want it to be personal to you too. And John says, I know stories. I know stories. There's just not enough. That he even says, there's not enough paper in the world for me to write down everything I could tell you about Jesus. Like, I, it's not enough. And besides, you got a lot of details from Matt, and you got a bunch of them from Luke. What I'm, that's what happened. I'm trying to tell you why. And so at the end of his writings, because he wrote for several chapters, I don't think he was writing in chapters, but way over the end of his writings, this is what he said. This is my whole motive of why I tried to find these words. He said, I wrote all of this so that, there's the purpose, so that you, very personal. You may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, there's that word, believing onto, believing into, believing in him, you may have life in his name. He's just to open up to the possibility that this isn't something far off and distant. It's not just historical. It's personal. Because John wants us to know, really happened, it's astounding, I'm telling you the reason it happened, the purpose of it, the why. It's so that you could have a personal relationship with the God who loves you because Jesus came and said, not only this is what God is like, he said, I am God in the flesh. A lot of you think that God is still so far off that you cannot know him, and I'm saying if you know Jesus, you know God. It's that personal. And it has deep and major implications. Now, uh, stick with me because we're about to sing, or you're going to listen to someone sing here in just a minute. If it took those guys who were literally camping out with Jesus on a day-to-day -day basis, it took them three years or more to come to grips with who he was, imagine how difficult it is for us. 
And John acknowledges that. He said, you think you had a hard time getting your head and heart around all this? We were there with him and thought he was on this mission that to overthrow the Romans. And we were asking for opportunities to sit on his right, sit on his left, because it's going to be a big time and we're the entourage that's with Jesus. Yep, yeah, we're with Jesus. Mm -hmm. You get to control the velvet rope. You may enter. No, you may not. He's like, we thought that's what it was all about. We kept thinking, yes, we believe that you are the Messiah. You are Christ the King. But when are you going to do a little bit more of that Messiah-ing thing? When are you going to come on strong? Because, you know, we don't have much time. We need to get this show on the road. And he says, you know, to you personally, if you've ever wondered... Because let's be honest, if you've gone through any stretch of life and you know how difficult that is, is there any time you've looked toward God and said, when are you going to come through for me, God? You might even come to Rock Springs and go, I love all that, and they say that God's this and that or the other, but I've been praying and it hasn't happened. So God, when when are you going to come through for me? When am I going to get that job that I so desperately need? Lord, I have been looking for a woman, and I think I found her, and I keep praying that she's going to look my way. She never looks my way. That boyfriend that I want, God, when are you going to send him? Lord, I just got that diagnosis, you know, a few months ago. You say that you're the great healer. When are you going to come through with a cure? When are you going to deal with all those people who have been so mean and so evil toward me? I just think we need to be honest. We often look toward God and therefore we look toward Jesus. We want Jesus to be and do a lot of different things. We want him to be our cosmic, godly genie in a bottle. He said, I don't relate to you that way. And John said, that's, that's true. He doesn't relate to you that way. And it took us more than three years to try and figure all, all of that out. That he didn't show up for our agenda, he showed up for his agenda, and that was to put death to death. And to say that the grave is no longer a threat because if we understand Jesus correctly, then we can have our sin forgiven, we can have a purpose for living, we can have a home in heaven. That This is more than, it's not even the same thing we thought. He was God in the flesh with his own complete agenda, and that was to be the savior of the world. But he said, listen, it's personal. It's not just, he's in love with the whole world. He's like, he showed up to be my savior and your your savior. So I think, before we move on to this song, it seems like John's question to us is more along the lines, it's not, do you believe that Jesus is real? It's, do you believe into, onto Jesus to the point to where, like, I'm putting my whole weight onto it. If it's poker, I'm all in. And so I would say to you, maybe I can be the voice of John, have you trusted on to Jesus? Have you trusted into him like that? Do you do that on a day-to-day basis? Have you put the entire sum and the weight of your entire life and your future into him? I'm saying from someone who has, I will say, it's not going to be an easy ride. It'll be bumpy. It'll be difficult. But the funny thing is, you will have light for direction for your life, and you will have peace that you don't know how to explain even when everything is flying off the wall. You have a purpose for your present, and you also have this calmness about the future because it's like, he's got this. I've told you this before. I don't understand everything that Jesus says, but if he can predict that he's going to die, be put in a tomb, and come back to life, and he pulls it off, I'm going with him. If you were to say to John, you know, John, I I really don't know. I don't know if I've believed on to Jesus yet. I think he would say, I mean, it's evident in his gospel, he would say, well then, if you don't yet, then keep seeking. 
keep asking. If you aren't sure that you believe, then keep knocking. Because he says, it is that persistence of leaning in his direction. He will come through. He said, it took me a while to figure that out. It may take you a while too, but keep on keeping on. Yes, he came for the whole world, but he came for you. And one other thing. He didn't come, like I said, for our agenda, but his. And his agenda was, yes, he came for the whole world, and that is beautiful, but he came for you and me. And he came to actually give us exactly what we needed. How many of you ever wished, when you get that letter that says I-R-S, that you had a good tax attorney right at that minute? <laughs> it's like, oh, Lord, I don't need a savior. I just need a tax attorney. Okay? See, we think that our greatest need might... See, John might have said, you know, Lord, our greatest need is you need to get these Romans off our back. Get them out of here. We're tired of being occupied territory. You may say, God, I don't really need a Savior. What I need is, I got a lack of resources. Could you please come through with some resources? So that's what I need. I need a banker. Some of you are so... Uh, and. and, and a lot of us, we all feel this way. It's like Our culture is just so shattered and it's so corrupt in so many areas. It's like, Lord, we need a new, brand new culture. But John says, our greatest need is not a better culture or more resources or the government to be changed. He said, because our biggest problem is none of those things. Our biggest problem is sin. And sin is me wanting to be the boss of me. Sin is the, you, you desire to be the boss of you. You want to be the little G-God of your life. Everybody, it's, 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 it's worldwide. Multicultural. I think he would tell you, don't kid yourself about the point of Christmas. And have all that fun that you're going to do. But the point of Christmas is not about having whatever Christmas spirit is. It's not about having better eggnog than this year that you had last year. <laughs> it's not about gifts, not about trees, not about snow. The point of Christmas is it's so personal that we were in a mess and God sent Jesus <laughs> to pull us out of our mess. Not to tell us to do better, but to rescue us. So if you thought you needed a lawyer or maybe you need a matchmaker or you thought you needed a coach or a trainer or a teacher, your problem is not that you don't have a strong enough argument and that you don't have a date or that you need to be smarter or healthier. That is not the point. Your greatest need is you need a savior because you don't know what to do with your problem of sin. You need to be rescued from yourself. <laughs> That's what I need. It's what you need. So God saw your greatest need. He saw my greatest need, and that's why he sent Jesus to rescue, to save, and to redeem. We get to read about the historical nature of the event. It really happened to really, really real people. And it was very personal. I'm going to read it. It's like, yeah, stop talking. Read. Here it is. You ready? Luke 1, verse 20. God sent the angel Gabriel, to Nazareth, up in the north part of Israel, a town in Galilee, which was the region of Israel. And he sent this angel named Gabriel to a virgin. Whenever people write about you and they talk about that you're a virgin or you're not a virgin, that's very personal. And the Bible doesn't pull any punches on that. Sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. And he was a descendant of David. That's important. And then he gets even more personal. This virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Verse 29. And you will note this in every instance that an angel shows up to communicate a message to God. Practically the very first thing they say is don't be afraid. Why is that? Because they're scary. They're not naked babies floating around your head. Okay. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. She obviously was a woman of faith, but can you imagine being greeted by a messenger from God and says, <laughs> Hello, you are highly favored. And you're going, I wish I weren't quite so highly favored at this moment because it's scaring me. The angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And he gets very personal. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Are we clear? I mean, I think that's what the angel said, too. <laughs> you're going, I'm remembering everything you're saying right now. And he goes on and he says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. If you were here for the shadow king, you understand the implications of that. And he said, and he, this Jesus that you will bear, he will reign over the house of Jacob. That has a lot to do with his ancestry as well. House of Jacob forever. And I love this. And he says, let me tell you something. His kingdom will never end. He is the one true eternal king. <laughs> See, we've heard this so much, we feel like it's a Christmas pageant. It's not a Christmas pageant. This is real life. Real down and dirty life. Trying to make a living, trying to make a life every single day. It's happening. It's really happening. It's happening in real time, and it's really, really scary. Just put yourself into Mary's place. Ladies, especially you, I think this would be intimidating, yes? Almost incomprehensible. Yet John said, you need to know these things. Because he is who he says he is. He will do what he said he will do. <coughs> Hitting pause on Luke. Let's switch over to Matthew. See some accounts that he gave. This is also from the first chapter, but Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And he says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the one who's been predicted, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now this next phrase is the way you say this in mixed company because it is very, very personal. Before they came together, she found out that she was pregnant. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, which is what the angel had said, but when does this ever happen? To what do you compare this? And yet, it's evident she's about to have a baby. And she's a virgin. There's so much in this, and we don't have time to delve into it, but because Joseph, her husband, because the marriage contract was like an engagement, and they were not allowed to come together, but there was this process, but because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, talking about the law of Moses. There is much detail in the law of Moses about behavior in all of this. He was faithful to the law, and yet he loved her and said that he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. As Leanne and I were listening to something last night that was commenting on this, understand that Nazareth was not that big of a town, and everybody knew everybody, and kind of like around... Montezuma County, I uh, can't even swing a dead cat and not hit somebody you're related to, right? <laughs> this is done not in private, this is done in a very communal setting in which everybody knows everything, and like I say all the time, walruses have ears, even if they're not related to you. By the way, if any of you need an interpretation of that, that is a, my interpretation of walls have ears. Walruses also have ears, I just wanted y'all to know. Okay. He did not want to expose her to the public disgrace, so he had in mind to, in this contract of marriage, to divorce her quietly. But he is in a no-win situation, because as soon as he does either of these things, he is a shamed member of the community. Merry Christmas. Matthew says, but after Joseph had considered this, 
because he, like most men I know, we're going to figure this out. Got to get from A to B. It needs to be fixed. We're going to get this figured out. He tries to sleep, obviously does. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and calls him by name. Not, hey, you. He says, Joseph, son of David, because you are in the right line. So Joseph, son of David, I know exactly who you are. And look at what he says. Do not be afraid. <laughs> because even in dreams, they're a little scary. He says, I need you. Here's what you need to know. Take Mary home as your wife. Go ahead with what you had planned. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Just take my word for it. She will give birth to a son. And I love this. The responsibility of giving him his name was Joseph's responsibility. You are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because wrapped up in the meaning of the Hebrew name of Joshua or Jehoshua, uh, Yeshua, is he will save his people. So he gave him the name Jesus because he will save his people. Remember, he's going to save them, and we go back to what we wish for. God, I need you to come in and save all this situation. Joseph might have been tempted just like us and go, you know what? I'm a good Jewish man. I know the law. I'm trying to keep it. That whole thing of being saved and whatever, we've already got that covered. Right down the road is the temple. I've been a part of a sacrificial system for years. I raise goats and sheep, and I've even had to buy doves because I don't have a lot of money, but I've got the whole, God's got the whole sin thing covered. Got it. So I need to be saved from the Romans. I need to be saved from my bad situation. He could have been tempted to do all that, and yet the angel says to Joseph, listen to me, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. And he will come in the spirit of Joshua, the deliverer, the savior. It, it's all wrapped up in that. But you know what, Joseph? Just be quiet for a little while. Let me tell you something. He's coming to save you, and he's coming to save your people from the thing that you need saving the most. Because Matthew goes ahead and writes it down. He said that the, that, that the angel said he will save his people from their sins. The, uh, the, we've missed the mark. You, you try and put together your own list of things you want to live up to, and you don't even live up to those. And if we use God's, we certainly don't live up to that. We have sinned. We've missed the mark. We, we're not just mistakers. We're sinners. And that's what he says. He's a savior sent to save everyone from their sins if they will believe on to him. <laughs> Can you imagine having that dream? Gentlemen, this part is for you. Can you imagine having this dream? And then what are you supposed to do with this information? Matthew records that when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, even though it didn't make sense. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife, even though they weren't married, and even though this boy was not his. We're going to switch back over to Luke, because the story about Christ's birth continues, and it's got so much to it, that I want you to act like you've never heard this before, and just see all the details. This is in Luke 2, verse 1. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, including this backwater occupation territory that they would have called Palestine or Judea. So, as was the law, because when Caesar Augustus spoke, Luke records that in verse 3 that everyone went to their own town to register. So, the question is, if God is involved in the dealings of human beings, how, if you are God, how do you get a couple that you are using, how do you get them from the north part of Israel down to the south part of Israel in order to fulfill prophecy? Especially when you have a baby that needs to be born in a specific place, and they live roughly 90 miles from where they need this baby to be born and you don't have planes, trains, or automobiles. 
how do you get a couple, whether it's then or now, how do you get a couple from where they are to where they need to be? Not the way we would think so. You just have on the shoulder of someone who works in the tax department of the Roman Empire and say, you need to send your boss an email that says we're running a little low on the tax thing and we need some more accurate records. So, our advice to you, great Caesar Augustus, we need to do a census so we can know how many people we can get. We need to expand our tax base. You might want to know where all the eligible taxpayers are and, and where they live. We don't know the details of why Caesar chose to do it, but God used him, which is interesting. He gives an imperial decree that has Mary and Joseph on the road because they are now obligated to get to his hometown, which is Bethlehem. And Caesar doesn't even know that he is setting up the stage so that the true king of the world, because he did think he was king of the world, to get the true king of the world to be born in Bethlehem. And he never knew it. And I love saying this because it just is so yay God. And the man who thought he was all that in a bag of chips became the footnote to the true king of the world. You and I would not be talking about Caesar Augustus if it were not for Jesus Christ. Verse 4. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, which is about five miles, I mean Bethlehem, about five miles south of Jerusalem. And Bethlehem is known as the town of David. It would have taken them several days. You travel with a large group of people who are going that same direction in order to avoid danger of being, you know, uh, mugged on the way. And they do, they're doing this while she's pregnant, which whenever she was pregnant, we would not have traveled on a donkey 90 miles. I'm just telling you. <laughs> that would have been a no-go. Plus, they're human beings like us. There has to be somewhere along the line you go, God, why is this happening? <laughs> so, he went to the town of Bethlehem because he belonged to the house in the line of David, and that was where you would go. Verse 5, he went there to register for this tax census with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, this is so very personal, the time came. The time came for that baby to be born, and we all know that when they're ready to come, and it's like, they're coming, they're coming. Time came for that baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, and guess what? He has a son, just like they'd heard. This was before ultrasound. So. There were no gender reveal parties. <laughs> she wrapped him in cloths, whole different thing I can't get into right now wrapped him in cloth, placed him in a feeding trough, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, we're going to shift gears just a little bit and we're heading down the home stretch here. Everybody <laughs> stick with me. While this was happening, Luke had done his investigation and he found out while this was happening, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby to where all this is happening and they were keeping watch over their flock at night so that, you know, they wouldn't it wouldn't be stolen. Now, here's the thing. Why didn't God want to have, what, some farmers nearby? Or some shopkeepers? What, what, what is going on here? Why weren't there lawyers standing outside? What, 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 what is the point? And the answer is, we don't know for sure. But here, let's make this point that we do know. We know that shepherds were, tax collectors were down here, and above them were shepherds. Because they were always dealing with something that was unclean, and therefore they could never go to Jewish church. Because they were unclean. Didn't mean they were sinners, but they were unclean, so they were shunned by everybody around them. They were almost the bottom rung of, uh, 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 of society. They were ceremonially unclean. They were not allowed to go to church. And, and you just don't, don't miss this, because Christmas is so, the first Christmas is so full of stuff. People came to shepherds to find their offering that they were going to give to God. Which means, the people who weren't even allowed to go to church, everybody was actually depending on them to make their church experience worthwhile. Do you see a pattern here? Because Jesus was always doing stuff that was opposite what everybody thinks you should do. In other words, those shepherds were expected to help other people deal with their sin 
but everybody considered them a religious outcast when it came to their sin and their shame. <laughs> I love that. Isn't that great, brother? It is. It's just, it's just so good. Maybe, maybe God actually chose to announce the birth of his son to and through the people who would be least likely to actually be able to participate in something like this. Because we would have had banners, spotlights, big songs like we're going to have at the end of the service. That's the way we do it. And God just does it so quietly, so normally, so upside down. Look goes on with his detail. Verse 9 says, The angel of the Lord appeared to them. Huh. Told you, it's coming. Angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And these shepherds were... The words he used in Greek are, they feared a great fear. <laughs> ah! <laughs> I mean, ugh, it's dark out here, and then all of a sudden, look, there you are. Hey! Woo! And the angel said, don't be afraid. I'm not here to hurt. I'm here to help. I'm here to communicate something good to you. Do not be afraid. He says, I bring you good news. I bring you good news that's going to cause great joy for all the people. The construction means all the people. <laughs> you guys that are at the low end of the, the spectrum, and, and then the people who are all the way at the top. It doesn't matter. All, and it's not just Jewish people. But he says, here's the specifics in verse 11. He says, today, right now, this is happening today in the town of David, a Savior, a Messiah, a Christ has been born to you. It's very personal. I'm here to tell you that he's been born, and he's been born as a present to you, a gift to you. You guys might have been convinced, because everybody else said it, that you're beyond saving, and we're here to say, no, God says no to that. It's for you. You guys who wind up serving everybody else so they can go to church and do the religious thing, you guys who would really like to believe that whole, oh, you're worthless. No. You're included. A Savior has been born to you. He goes on, and he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. In other words, he's been predicted. This has been expected for a long time. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And verse 12, he gets so specific, and Luke-specific as well. He tells us that the angel says, this will be a sign. This is a sign. Why would they need a sign? All kinds of reasons. This is going to be a sign to you that when you go looking for him, this is what you're going to find. You're going to find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. To which you're going, you scared me at the beginning, and now you're confusing me. Because we don't put our babies in feeding troughs. He said, but you mark my words. If you go looking for him, you're going to find him. He's going to be wrapped up like a sacrificial lamb, and he will be lying in a feeding trough. And then suddenly, as if they weren't scared enough, my brother. It says, and suddenly a whole company of the heavenly host showed up. Which, again, they tend to appear as soldiers, not as naked babies flying around your head. Can you imagine having one warrior in front of you, and then you have a whole company standing behind him? Oh, 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 oh. And here's always one of those things, because I've been in church too much, so I like to annoy people. Whenever it says angels sing, never says angels sing. Never says that. It just says that the angel was standing there, great company of the heavenly hosts appeared and they started praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests which is everybody even shepherds and then just as quickly as it had started it ended Woo! can you imagine sitting around that campfire because that's the way I imagine it they're sitting around that campfire and it's like all this and then it's gone. And then you look at the guys who you're shepherding with and you go, did y'all see that? I mean, what do you, how do you start a conversation after that? But it says when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds finally found some words and they said to one another, you know what, I think we should go to Bethlehem. Yeah, I think that would be a good move right about now says, let's go to Bethlehem and let us see this thing that has happened. Oh, it's 
happened. It's a real thing. Because here's the deal. If you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, you are not a Christian because of these stories. This is not a fairy tale, and you go, ooh, I believe a fairy tale. Some of you, you have to follow me, because you're going to say, that, doesn't, that, sounds, that sounds wrong. You are not a Christ follower. Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. In other words, someone didn't find this lying around, and then they opened it up, and they, 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 they read it and said, ooh, let's do that. No, the Bible was written by the people who experienced these things, and they couldn't shut up about it. So whenever they tell us the truth of things that some... It happened. It happened. We're Christians because something happened. We are Christians because God came to earth and things happened. The Bible is the record of those events, and I'm so grateful that it is that way. We are Christ followers because Jesus himself came into our world, did what he said he was going to do. He died, was put into a tomb. Three days later, he came back to life just as he said he would. Yep, 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 yep. Yes, he was born. Yes, he taught. Yes, he did miracles. But it was his crucifixion and his resurrection from the dead that changed all of history. It's what, what John's trying to get through to us. He transformed my life, John says. He transformed the lives of people that I saw. And he said, we've got to tell it. It is a precious message. We wrote it down. Why? So that you would believe. Not that it happened, but to believe onto him. This is a big, big deal. Christmas is big. But not because Walmart's got a fantastic sale. Christmas is not fragile, it's strong, it is durable, it doesn't dress in red and green, it dresses in everyday clothes, and it's for you, it's that personal, but you keep holding it at arm's length. Luke goes on. And says these shepherds decided, yep, let's do that. So they hurried off, and guess what? They found Mary, and they found Joseph, and they found that baby. And that baby, guess what? Was lying in a manger, in a feeding trough. In verse 17, they saw it. It was like, wow, when they had seen it, they left that place. And they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And I can only imagine what kind of conversations they must have had with the people who knew them or even like, wow. Um, all who heard it were amazed. Number one, you're a shepherd. Why are you so excited? You low life. And yet you're talking about something great that happened. And yet everybody had to scratch their heads like, that could be one of the weirdest things I've ever heard in my life. And yet, if you consider what they said, some of the best news you've ever heard in your life. Then I would say maybe the most important verse in this whole birth narrative because it gives us reason to believe that Luke got to interview Mary. In verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, all these stories, and she pondered them in her heart. So for the rest of her life, she had them hidden in her heart, she'd rehearse them, she thought about them, she'd turn them over, she'd feel it, refeel it, rethink it, go through all the details. Because honestly, who would believe her in a time when women had no respect, none, but her son was about to change that. She had a shattered reputation, she couldn't tell anyone because no one would believe her. We can assume that she tried to raise Jesus as normal as possible, but how do you raise the Son of God in a normal way? And then one day, about 33 years later, she would watch that firstborn son of hers die. And there was nothing she could do about that. But, just a few hours, a couple, three days later, because <laughs> she's one of his followers, she stoops down and looks into that empty tomb and says, ain't nobody in there. Because he's risen. 
she would be embraced by her resurrection son. She would know without a doubt that the things she had been foretold for all her life, he is the savior of the world, but she would, she would have to say that he's not just the savior of the world, he's my savior. Because he's personal. Matthew would write it down best he could to try and get it right because something happened. Luke would do his best to write it down. He wanted it all in chronological order so that people could make sense of it, but it would be John, I keep coming back to John, who knew Mary very well, took care of her even to, unto her death. He would summarize it best all those years later because he's an old man, isolated from his friends. He writes down his account of what it was like to be with Jesus and he says I've got to say something that survives me because this message has got to get out and I think he he gets to this part of the Jesus story and I think it's hard to determine you can ask all the theologians on this either he summarized or he quoted Jesus and you know you, you had to have heard Jesus tell this over and over again but how do you summarize all this and what was going on do you think he sat somewhere and goes, you know what, I'm going to pen the most well-known verse, and people will quote it everywhere, and now I will sound like Kermit. <laughs> Do you think he sat there like, I'm going to write a verse that some guy is going to put the reference to it on a card, and before they tell me I can't, I'm going to stand at the end of the Dallas Cowboys arena and go, John 3.16. You think he thought that? No. But I think he was trying to grasp at everything he could to say, this needs to go far, this needs to go wide, because these words mean something. And he wrote something that had never been written before. And nothing has compared to it yet. By God's grace, John was allowed to summarize what he's about to say for the rest of his account. And you know it. But do you know it? Because what he says is so profound. He says, I'm just telling you everything up to this. Because of that, therefore, he says, for God. So loved. It's so intense. The, 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 the love is so intense. God so loved the world that this is Christmas. This is the whole Christmas story. God so loved the world because... We know we give gifts because he gave the gift, but he says God so loved the world that he gave. He did not demand anything of you. He's not demanding anything of you except that you believe onto Jesus. He says God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? He gave his one and only son. There's so much depth to the words that he used. We can't even get into that right now. What he's saying is he is God in the flesh. He is eternal, invisible God, become flesh, born to us, and placed in a manger. <laughs> His one and only Son, so that whoever, and we don't have to have a, a dictionary, he's saying whoever, whoever, you, 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 anyone. He said, this is where I get to use my phrase, my mashed up phrase. <laughs> he says that whoever believes into, who believes onto, who puts the full weight of their life, their future, everything that they are, whoever believes onto him and trusts him, Jesus, they will not perish. In other words, they will not cease to exist or be punished forever, but instead they will have a life that never ends. I love my job at times like this. That's good news, y'all. I just wonder if, Don, uh, if John ever <coughs> thought about how powerful and influential that would be. But he didn't stop there. And I find this interesting, and we talked about this, some of us. We all know John 3, 16, because if you have been in church for any length of time, you were probably taught it and you've memorized it. Hmm? Chances are you did not or were not challenged to memorize the next verse, which I think is actually even more, more better. More better. Because this is why we celebrate Christmas. Because he said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Amen. Oh, oh my Lord. <laughs> That's Christmas right there. 
that he thought about me. The angels were right when they communicated all of this to Mary and to Joseph and to the shepherds, that God did send a Savior into the world, but he did not send him here to condemn the world, to condemn you, but to save the world, to save you through him. I'll say it this way. God's not mad at you. He's mad about you. And I hope that your heart and your head can hear that in some way. And if I were you, I would say, I'm going to take that very personal. Would you bow your head with me? I, I want to walk you through some things. First of all, I want to pray. Then I'm going to invite you to pray. Heavenly Father, we've done our very best to try and capture songs and moments and then look at your word so that we can lean into this. But this Christmas, maybe more so than ever before, I want to say thank you. Thank you so much for sending exactly what we need. We didn't need somebody to inspire us, coach us, or teach us. Because the fact is we're sinners and we need saving. So I'm so thankful that you sent Jesus to save us. It's such good news. Thank you, God. It's such good news. Because we can know Jesus. He is exactly who we need. It is very personal. In fact, I would say, God, straight up, I'm so grateful that you love me. And you've said, if I take this seriously, I take it personally, if I actually shift the weight of my life and my faith onto you, you promised that you would give me real life, you would give me everlasting life, you would give me a light to guide me. Father, you know I've prayed about this before this moment, but if it's, if it's never been personal for somebody that's here in this service today, for some friend that may be listening in, would you please give them courage and power to open up to you and to say, I want that. I want to receive that Christmas gift personally. And with your head bowed, your eyes closed, if that's where you are right now, just tell him. It, it, it's not in the, the combination of words, but tell him something along like, God, that's exactly what I need, what we've been talking about. I need that. I need forgiveness. I need saving. And I, I see it clearly now. I, I thank you for sending Jesus at Christmas to make that happen. Thank you for allowing him to die on that cross, even though that cost you everything. Because when he died there, he took my place, he took my sin, it's all paid for. But God, I thank you that your son Jesus is not a martyr. He is the king of kings. He is the living Lord. You gave him power to put death to death. He came back to life. And when that happened, Lord, I don't understand it all, but you took all my sin and you placed it on him, and then you took all his rightness, his righteousness with you and he put that on me. <laughs> that is a great exchange, and that is what I want. Save me now, Jesus. Thank you for being my Savior. God, pray that you hear these prayers wherever they may be prayed in these moments. To change lives, change families, change our community. And we'll give you credit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If that is a choice that you made, and ask something extra of you, and that is, on the Church Center app, there's a tab that just says, hello. Give me some information if you put it in there, and you can also check on there. Um, I gave my life to Jesus today. I'd like to know that so I could pray for you, and so that we can uh, uh, help you take the next best steps for your life, because that's what we're all about here at Rock Springs, is taking our next best step. We have a service that's coming up this evening. I want you to be aware of that. 5 o'clock for cookies and all that goes with that. 5.30 for music that you just do not want to miss. It's going to be precious. Yep, it's going to be precious and you don't want to miss it. Push, pull, or drag anybody you can find to come with you. You won't be sorry. But in the, meaning, in the meantime, if we, and I mean me, I guess, if we don't have a chance to tell you again before this Christmas is over, before we go our separate ways, we just wanted to leave you with a prayer and a blessing to just drive home what we talked about here today, that God is for you. Okay, y'all can come on up. We're going to sing this. We're going to get the praise team. As soon as we're done, I'll dismiss you.
Merry Christmas, but be blessed, would you?